to the book of Matthew, Matthew chapter 3, if you will, uh, where we pick up off where we, we pick up uh, where we left off last week in Matthew chapter 3, verses 7 through 12. Again, Matthew chapter 3, and our three verses for today is uh, verses 10, 11, and 12. But in order for us to refresh our memories as to what Pastor Richard was preaching on last week, I'm going to start at verse 7. Again, Matthew chapter 3, verses 7 through 12. But when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to his baptism, he said to them, You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bear fruit in keeping with repentance, and do not presume to say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our father, for I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children for Abraham. Even now the axe is laid to the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. I baptize you with water for repentance, but he who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand, and he will clear his threshing floor and gather his wheat into the barn. But the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. Our dear Heavenly Father, we open up your word now to a passage of scripture that is vital to be understood by all people, by all men and women alike. I pray, Heavenly Father, that as we go to your word now, that by the power of your Holy Spirit, you would convict our hearts. Lord, that you would teach us all things and help us to understand the the great depth and gravity of this truth that is presented to us now. That Christ has come to judge the world of their sins. And if they do not have him, then they are damned to hell for eternity. Father, help us to understand this message now and proclaim it to the world that surrounds us each day. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. In order to bring us back up to speed from where Pastor Richard left off last week, I want to do just a little bit of review uh, to wrap our minds around the reality of what John is saying in verses 10, 11, and 12. Last week, Pastor Richard led us at the start of verse 1 of chapter 3, where John the Baptist is preparing the way for the coming judge, for the coming king, the king being Jesus Christ. John the Baptist paves the way with a very simple yet profound and prophetic message. It is just one word, but with it carries all the decisions that a man should make in his entire life. He says to the individuals he is preaching to in the wilderness, repent, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. That was the message that John the Baptist was preaching in preparing those for the coming Messiah, for not the coming Messiah, the coming king, the coming savior, the coming one who would judge all mankind on their uh, uh, on their sins. Pictured here in Matthew chapter three is John the Baptist saying, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand, essentially stating there is no time left. It is imminent. The king has come and you must repent of your sins if you seek to gain the kingdom of heaven. If you do not, we will see what is going to come about in the life of an individual who refuses to repent. We learn that repentance is more than just feeling sorrow over our sins. Everyone can feel sorry over something. Everyone feels sorry over their sins. They're sorry because they got caught or sorry because it was kind of a bad thing to do. But that is not where repentance lays. That is not where repentance ends. Often in our definition, our English definition of repentance, it just means to be sorrowful over something. But looking into the Greek word, it means more than that. It is the feeling sorrow over something, but also turning from that 
thing. It is a turning from what is evil and turning to what is good. It is turning from what is sin and turning to righteousness. It is turning from what you have done, leaving it behind, willing to, within your mind that you will never do that sin again. Now, obviously, that is something that is going to be impossible in this life, that we would be able to cease from sin. But what repentance has in mind is that the individual is going to continually turn from sin. Sin will not be a characteristic that defines their life. Sin will be something that, though they may do it, it is not the definition of their character. They have been set free because they have repented of their sins and believed in Jesus Christ. Repentance is turning from what is wrong to right. This message is something that is preached throughout the pages of Scripture. In Acts chapter 3, verse 19, we hear the Apostle Peter telling the individuals in the Solomon's uh, temple. He tells them, repent and turn to God so that your sins might be wiped out and that times of refreshing would come from the Lord. In Jesus' ministry, and we're going to see in verse 5, Jesus again tells the individuals, bear fruit in keeping with repentance. Jesus makes it his main message. Bear fruit in keeping with repentance. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. This is a message that is continually throughout the pages of Scripture. Repentance involves sorrow for our sins that we've committed ultimately against our holy God. And without that sorrow, without having sorrow for your sins, you will never feel sorry that you have sinned ultimately against our holy God. You will sin against God and sin against God and continually sin against God until one day God damns you to hell because of your sins. That is the message that John is preaching. If you do not repent of your sins, not only are you hurting others, not only are you hurting maybe yourself, but ultimately you are sinning against God. And if you refuse to repent, he will judge you worthy of death and you will be sentenced to eternity in hell. That is the message that John is presenting. That is the message always that is presented Throughout the pages of scripture when we are called to repentance. It is not repentant. It is not just repent and go to heaven. But it is also if you refuse to repent, you go to hell. Oftentimes we like to focus on the positive of the situation without looking into the negative. But the negative is just as important as the positive. Repent of your sins. Believing in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. And you will be saved. But if you do not, as we will see in verses 10, 11, and 12, you will be damned to hell. Looking at John chapter 3, we also see one other thing found in verse 8, something that Pastor Richard touched on last week. Repentance is not just feeling sorrow for sins and turning from it. That is ultimately what repentance is, but it also has another aspect to it. There will be fruit that is produced from the repentance that you have done. John tells them in verse 8, bear fruit in keeping with repentance. Bear fruit in keeping with repentance. That means not only can someone say, yeah, I repented of my sin and just leave it at that. But also, also you will see the fruit that comes about their repentance. We are introduced to uh, two religious sects of Judaism, the Sadducees and the Pharisees last week. And both of these individuals had an understanding of what it means to repent. But they have never truly done it. These individuals have said and claimed that they have repented. They have said that on the Pharisee side that they are the legalists. They are the ones that uphold the law. They do all things right within the law. And they are the ones that are truly God's people. But yet they have never had any fruit produced from their lives. And in the same way, the Sadducees were also the same. Though they had a different belief system somewhat of what the Pharisees had, they also had never truly repented of their sins. And the reason that John knew that they had never truly repented of their sins was because of the fact that they had no fruit. Fruit is what we see in order to understand or in order to confirm that one has repented of their sins. It is fruit 
that is, that is uh, uh, manifested in the life of an individual that allows for us to see that this individual is truly a part of the body of Christ. The Apostle Paul in Acts chapter 26, verse 20, summarizes this statement pretty, pretty, summer, uh, pretty easy for us to understand. He says in Acts chapter 26, verse 20, he tells these people, he proclaims to them that the people must repent and turn to God, performing deeds in keeping with repentance. What this is stating is that it is not just enough for someone to say that they have repented, because anyone can say that. It is, what is enough is that these individuals will produce fruit in keeping with repentance. We see this in the book of James, chapter 2, verses 14 through 26. James, chapter 2, verses 14 through 26, to summarize it, is that faith without works is dead. James says that faith without works is dead. If, if true faith is not producing, or if someone claims to have faith to you and they are not producing works, well, their faith is dead. Anyone can claim to say that they believe in God, and James says to them, well, it's good that you believe in God. So do the demons. It is not enough for you to just have a faith in knowing that God is real, but it is something that you must repent of your sins to him over, and you must also believe in faith that Jesus is Lord and Savior of your lives. And upon that belief in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, that true faith that you have will be manifested in its works. True faith manifests itself in works. And make no mistake about what I am saying. I am not proclaiming that this is a works-based salvation. There is no works-based salvation in any of this. What, it is, what is being stated is this. These passages are telling us that once an individual has repented of their sins, placing their faith in Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, and are converted and justified before God, they will produce fruit. It is not the fruit that gives them their salvation. It is their salvation that gives them the fruit. That is the message that is proclaimed. The works do not come first. The works come after salvation. If anyone claims to you to be a Christian, if anyone claims to you that they have been set apart by God and yet they have no fruit in their life, if they are continually and constantly not bearing fruit within their lives, well, then that should be evidence to you that this individual is not truly saved. It's not that they have lost their salvation. It's not that they were once saved and then no longer are saved. It's that they were never saved to begin with. That is the reality that everyone is faced with. And so that is why John, when he starts his message, he calls for them to repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. But he does not leave it at just that. He does not leave it at these people just making a simple statement that they have repented of their sins. But rather, he says, bear fruit in keeping with repentance. Bear fruit in keeping with repentance. And to summarize why I've stated all of this, is because as I have mentioned at the beginning of this, uh, as I mentioned at the beginning of this service here today, is that this is the message that John is proclaiming. And we pick up where that has left off. John has said, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And if you repent and yet have no fruit within your life, well, you are a brood of vipers and you are still under the judgment of God. But if you do repent, heaven is awaiting you. If you repent of your sins and believe in Jesus Christ, heaven is awaiting you. And so as we have just done a brief amount of review, let's pick back up at verse 10. I'm going to read it one more time to refresh our minds with it, and we will, we will uh, dissect this text to see exactly what this message that is, is being preached to us now. Verse 10 says this, Even now the axe is laid to the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. I baptize you with water for repentance. But he who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. 
His winnowing fork is in his hand, and he will clear his threshing floor and gather his wheat into the barn, but the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. It's interesting to me as I read this passage, these three verses, how it is so often that we come across people who refuse to take responsibility for their actions. Everyone wants to either say, well, it's not my fault that I've done this, or it's not really a big deal that I have done this. I didn't really hurt anyone all that much. And on the other side of things, we see people that often like to blame shit as a result of their sin or as a result of their actions. They say, well, it's not my fault that I did this. It's my father's fault. Or it's not my fault that I did this. That person was mean to me first. Or it's not my fault that I did this. I was raised up in a background that I just can't seem to escape from. All of these things are blame shifting. All of these things is an individual who refuses to see the reality of their life, that they are a sinner that is sent ultimately before God, and they must repent of their sins if they seek to receive the forgiveness that is found in Jesus Christ. It is not this idea that, well, what I did was not very bad, and so it's not a big deal. I don't need to repent. It's not, a big, it's not this reality that, well, someone else made me do this, so I don't need to repent from this. The reality is this, that individual, all individuals, every single one of us are sinners that are in need of a Savior, and that Savior is Jesus Christ. The Savior is Jesus Christ. One thing that I've just read about in this past week is uh, regarding the blame shifting that we see in our society today that, well, uh, yeah, this person committed crime, but, but it wasn't really their fault. This person did something wrong, but it wasn't really this fault. It was someone else's fault. In the news this past week, and if you're familiar, if you keep up with any form of baseball, you'll note that there is a, a baseball pitcher who, was, uh, who overdosed on drugs and died. He overdosed on drugs and he died. And when it first came out, they didn't know what exactly happened, but it's come to, come to find out there was someone that was supplying him with the, uh, the drugs that, uh, that he overdosed on. And so rather than this individual who has died being the one that is at blame because he is the one who took the drugs, they see fit to blame the individual who has given him the drugs. And now certainly that individual does carry some sort of wrong uh, with establishing or giving this individual the drugs. But ultimately, ultimately, the one who is at fault is the one who has taken the drugs. And so this uh, society is, is shifting the blame. Though this individual has, has passed away because of their overdose on these pills, uh, they're blaming the individual who gave them to him. They're saying this is the one who is at fault. This person needs to be punished. And rightfully so, that individual should not have given them the drugs. But ultimately, the blame lies on the individual who took the drugs. That is the individual is at fault. But in our society today, we always want to blame shift. None of us have ever done anything wrong. It's always someone else's fault. But that's not the truth. That's not the case. We are the ones who are at fault. We are the ones who mess up. We are the ones who sin. And ultimately, not only do we sin against ourselves or our family members or our friends, but we sin against God. We sin against God himself when we sin against others. We sin against God himself. And the reality is that we fall under judgment. We fall under the judgment of God if we do not have Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. This passage that we look at in verses 10 through 12 reminds us not only have these people committed wrong against the laws of the land or against their neighbor, but ultimately they have committed sins against God, the almighty God. And if they do not repent of their sins, well, then they face an everlasting, eternal judgment. They may escape judgment here on earth. They may never get caught for what they have done. They may, they may never be punished for their sins here on earth. But one day they will meet the judge. The judge who is Jesus Christ. And if they have never repented of their sins and believed in him for everlasting life, they will be a judge worthy of death and damned to hell for eternity. For eternity. And we're going to see that laid out here in John's three verses or in, the, in Matthew's three verses. 
As we look at these three verses today, if you are here today and have not ever, ever repented of your sins and believed in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, I see no better time for you to understand this text, repent of your sins, recognize that you have sinned against the Holy God, and that if you were to die even now, you would appear before God worthy of death and you would be judged to hell. That is your reality if you do not have Christ. You could leave from this place, die in any moment, and you will be judged worthy of death. If you do not repent of your sins. And for those of us who are here that have been set free by the blood of Jesus Christ, there is much also for us to gain from this message as well. So you say, well, I already have Jesus. I don't need this message. Well, that's true to a certain extent. But follow along with me as we go through and you'll see that there is much for us as believers to gain from reading a text as this. As we look at the theme presented to us through these verses, and I've mentioned it a number of times, but the theme that is presented to us through these verses, ultimately what John could say is this, turn or burn, turn or burn. That is the reality of the message that lays before us. It's not very politically correct. It's not something that someone wants to hear said to them, but it is the reality of what John is saying. Either you repent or turn from your sin and believe in Jesus Christ as the atoning sacrifice for your sin. And have eternal life or refuse to repent and burn for eternity in hell. That is the reality of this message. And we see it laid out in these three verses before us. It's presented in three different ways just in case they don't get it the first time. Verse 10 again says this. Even now the axe is laid to the root of the trees. Every tree therefore that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Throughout scripture God's judgment is always seen as imminent. And as we look at verse 10, we see the imminency of the judgment even now. He references the axe being laid at the root of the tree, ready to chop down any tree that does not bear good fruit. Notice here, it does not say that the axe is being made. It does not say that the axe is being brought to the tree. But rather, the axe has been uh, has been uh, has been forged. It has been quenched. It has been tempered. It has been sharpened. It's been fitted with the handle and it has been laid at the tree, ready to cut down any tree that is not bearing fruit fruit. There is an imminency with this judgment. And if you have yet to repent of your, if you have yet repented of your sins and believed in Jesus Christ, this is an imminent judgment that awaits you. An imminent judgment that awaits you. This axe is an axe that is ready for business. This axe is an axe that is ready to be cut down, cutting down any tree that does not bear fruit. And the one that is going to be handling that axe is Jesus Christ. At the end of the harvest season, give us an illustration or picture of this illustration that is provided to us. At the end of the harvest season, the farmer would go through his vineyards or tree orchards looking for plants that had not been producing fruit. At the end of the harvest season, they picked all of their fruit and they go up and down the rows of the trees and of the orchards and of the vines. And if there is a tree that has not been producing fruit, what they would, this is what they would do. Upon locating the plant that gave no good fruit, the farmer would then cut that tree down and throw it into the fire because it was worthless. A tree that does not bear fruit is worthless. It's taking up time, it's taking up resources, it's taking up the water, it's taking up all of the farmer's time, and therefore it is worthless, and so it is cut down and thrown into the fire to be burned. This is a message of judgment for anyone who does not produce the fruit of Repentance. Obviously, all of us understand the point that is being made. The tree is us, and if we are not producing fruit, though we may claim to be saved, if we are not producing fruit, well, then that is evident that we are not actually saved, and therefore, on that final day, we will be cut down and thrown into the fire. Again, this is not referencing a works-based salvation, but rather one that is truly saved will produce fruit. One that has truly been set free from their sins will produce 
fruit. You may have people tell you all the time that they are saved because their family members were saved or because their parents were saved or because their mother was saved. John even knows that there's going to be individuals that say, well, well, my family was saved. I come from the line of Abraham, so surely I must be good. It doesn't matter if I bear fruit. John corrects them back as we heard of last week. He says, do not presume to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. It is not by our family members that we are saved. It is not by our brothers and sisters that we are saved. It is only by our repenting of sins and believing in Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior that we are saved. And as a result of that salvation, we will bear fruit. Oftentimes we will see other individuals say that they are saved because they are a good person or because they go to church every once in a while. Or even individuals making the claim that they are saved because they've said a five-second prayer once in their life. And yet there has never been any fruit that has been produced. This idea that if I say to myself, well, God, you know, God, save me from my sin. And I say that maybe when I'm six years old. You see kids do that. You see kids do that all the time. Or we see people make these professions of faith even even in our society today, even now, adults doing these things. And they make this profession of faith. But in reality, there was no change of heart in their life. They never produced fruit. They make this brief profession of faith. Whatever it might be, however they might say it, and yet their life is indicative of one that is a sinner. Their life is a continuing sinful uh, nature. Their life is something that sins constantly. Their life is a life that loves sin, hates God, never, never serves God, never worships God, never loves God. And because of that, that produces evidence in their lives. Not the good kind of evidence, but the negative evidence that they have not truly repented of their sins and believed in Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. They may have made an outward profession of faith, but there was never an inward change in their lives. And they are not saved because of the reality that they have not produced fruit. And the reality for them is this. The axe is laid at the root of their tree, ready to cut them down on that final day. These individuals are called to repent of their sins. If we think about the Pharisees just last week that we heard about them, these individuals upheld the law. These individuals were separatists. They said, I want nothing to do with anyone that does not follow the law to the T. And yet John could tell them, you have never repented of your sins. You have never truly believed that God is Savior. You never truly believed in God as your Lord and Savior or Jesus as your Lord and Savior. Bear fruit in keeping with repentance. These are individuals that had all of the works that they thought they thought they had all the works. They thought they had done everything right. And yet in reality, they had done nothing right because their heart had never been changed. They had never been reborn. They were never born again by the Holy Spirit. And we see we see the reality of what it looks like to actually be saved in the next two verses in verse 11 and 12. Verse 11 and 12, we pick up at verse 11. He says, I baptize you with water for repentance. But he who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. Now, the last verse that we looked at was full of judgment. It was only judgment that was presented to us in verse 10. But in verse 11 and 12, we see also, we not only see judgment, but we also see salvation offered. It's important for us to know that when we share the gospel with individuals, it's not just that we automatically condemn them, but that we also give them the opportunity of salvation, as John the Baptist does here. It is not just that we condemn them as the sinners that they are, but rather we seek to, we seek to see them give into repentance of their sins and believe in Jesus Christ. And in verse 11 and 12, we see this uh, picture. We see the judgment, but we also see the salvation. We see the consolation and we see the condemnation. 
In verse 11, what is pictured for us here is the coming promised ministry of Jesus Christ. Back in Matthew chapter 1, we saw Jesus born in a manger, born to take away the sins of the world and to destroy the work of Satan. We saw Jesus as the promised King, the promised Savior, the promised Messiah. And as we go throughout this book of Matthew, we're going to see much about Jesus Christ. We're going to read about Christ's earthly ministry. We're going to see of Christ's perfect life. We're going to read about the temptation of Satan, where he did not sin. We're going to hear him preach on the necessity of bearing fruit. We're going to read from Matthew chapter 5, the Sermon on the Mount, and hear of all of the great truths that are presented to us from that. We're going to see the healings that he has performed. We're going to hear of the woes that he places the judgment upon the people with. We're going to learn of the parables, the transfiguration. We're also going to read of Christ going to the cross to be the atoning sacrifice for our sins, where we read of his death and ultimate resurrection. But also, as we see in Matthew chapter 3, we see one other part of Jesus' earthly ministry. See, a part of Jesus' earthly ministry was this, that he would come and to save the world from their sins. He would live the perfect life, which he did. He would, he would not give into any temptation from Satan or from any of the religious leaders of his day. He would live a life of perfection. And yet he would go to the cross because he's claimed to be God, when in fact, in reality, he truly is fully God and fully man. He would go to the cross to be the atoning sacrifice for the sins of the world. And on the third day after he was buried, he would rise from the grave. And if you believe in him, you will have everlasting life. That is the message of the Gospel of Matthew. That is the message of the Bible. But also what we see as a result of our giving our lives to Christ, repenting of our sins, and believing in Him as Lord and Savior of our lives, as a result of that, we also receive something else. And not just anything, but we receive the promised Holy Spirit. Not only do we have salvation of our sins and eternal life in heaven, but we are baptized with the Holy Spirit immediately upon our belief in Jesus Christ. He says it, again, he says it here in verse, uh, verse 11 for us. He says, He will baptize you, that is Jesus, with the Holy Spirit. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. In the Gospel of John, we see the Holy Spirit's earthly ministry, what it is entailing. In John chapter 14, verses 16 and 17, you don't have to turn there, I'll just read it briefly. John chapter 14, verse 16 and 17, Jesus says, actually going back to verse 15, If you love me, you will keep my commandments. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper, to be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth. Whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. The reality for all of us that once we have repented of our sins and believed in Jesus Christ, once we have been converted, we are immediately given the Holy Spirit. We are immediately given the Holy Spirit. And Paul tells us the same thing in Ephesians chapter 1, verses 13 through 14. Paul tells us that as we believe the gospel of truth, we were given the Holy Spirit as a deposit guaranteeing our salvation. Our salvation is guaranteed by God himself. There is nothing that we could do to lose it. There is nothing that we can do to even earn it. It is a free gift from God. We are given this free gift from God. But the reality is that as we have been saved and set free from our sins, we will produce fruit. And not just because of our own strength, but because of the Holy Spirit who lives within us. One of the reasons that the Bible tells us that an individual who is truly saved will produce fruit is because of the Holy Spirit who lives within them. It is not based on their own efforts. It is not based on their own holiness, but rather it is based on the one who lives within them. It is based on the promised Holy Spirit who lives within them. 
How could one who has the Spirit of God residing in him live a life that is continually of sin? You cannot overthrow God. You cannot outwork God. You cannot become stronger than God in any source or any matter or in anything. And so the Bible tells us clearly that the reason the one who is set free from their sins, believing in Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, the reason they produce fruit is because of the Holy Spirit who lives within them. What is this fruit? Well, Galatians chapter 5 tells us a brief uh, description of what this fruit is. He tells us this fruit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And if you are producing these fruits in your life, well, the reason is because not of yourself, but because of the one who lives within you. They are the fruits of the Spirit, not the fruits of Dakota, or not the fruits of anyone else. They are the fruits of the Spirit, the Spirit who lives within you, who is the deposit guaranteeing your inheritance that is to come, guaranteeing your salvation. And so if you are a sinner today in need of a Savior and you believe unto Jesus Christ, repenting of your sins, you will be given the Holy Spirit who will enable you to do good works. But if you do not, well, then you will be baptized with something else. There are two baptisms that we see in this passage. There is the baptism with the Holy Spirit that the believer gets, and there is the baptism of fire that the unbeliever gets. There are many people that see this passage as a reference to referring both to the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit and fire is, is, for both, is, is just for the Christian. They see that as what that means, that it's a twofold uh, statement that John makes. But given the context of this passage, it is not. What the context of this passage makes clear to us is that there is one who will receive the Holy Spirit, and that is the believer, and the other will receive the baptism of fire. That's the context of the passage. That's what it says. It says here, what's pictured here is not the baptism of the Holy Spirit, but the baptism of fire in judgment. The eternal judgment of fire delivered by Jesus Christ himself to those who refuse to repent of their sins and believe in his name. Many of us are familiar with what the Greek word baptize is. If you've gone through membership class, one of the things we go through is we teach you about baptism. And the Greek word for baptism is baptizo. And essentially what the Greek word for baptizo is, or what that means, is to be immersed, to make fully wet, or to be buried into something, covered by something. And so as we have made the profession of faith in our lives, and as we go before the baptism, which is behind me, the baptism that is us professing our sins, that this baptism does not save us. It is the baptism of the Holy Spirit that indeed saves us. But as we go through this, we can see the picture that is painted for us. This immersion in fire that every unbeliever will face for eternity. This baptism by fire that every believer will face for eternity. What this picture is saying to us is that the believer is covered by the Holy Spirit, as I have mentioned, and the unbeliever is covered, buried, or immersed in fire for eternity. We don't say this to scare you. This is the reality of the judgment that the individual will face. As you picture that imagery in your mind right now, I want you to imagine something. Imagine that for eternity. Imagine an individual being covered in fire for eternity, being immersed in fire for eternity. Imagine that moment. Imagine that. Now imagine that being one of your friends who has not received the gospel. Or that being your brother or sister who has not received the gospel. Or that being your father or your mother or your co-worker or your friend. That is the reality of these individuals' judgment apart from Christ. And as you think about that reality, I don't say this to scare you, but what I say this for is to encourage you to share the gospel with these individuals. Their reality is an eternal judgment of fire. Fire for eternity. 
And yet we find ourselves resisting the urge to share the gospel with them because we're worried what they might think about us. When their reality, their eternity is judgment by fire. Share the gospel with these individuals. Share the gospel with them. Because if they refuse to repent and believe in Jesus Christ, they will, they will endure that immersion of fire for eternity because they refuse to receive the free gift that is offered to all people. In this precious gift of Jesus Christ. Finally, we read this in verse 12. He says it again, as I have mentioned. He wants to make sure completely that these individuals have understood what he is saying. He says it three times, just in three different ways. He says this, His winnowing fork is in his hand, and he will clear his threshing floor and gather his wheat into the barn, but the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand, and he will separate. He will separate. Again, here mentioned for us is another agricultural reference, something that would be well understood for those people of that day. In order for us to understand what this agricultural reference looks like, I want to quote to you a passage from F.F. Bruce, who's a noted New Testament scholar, detailing what this kind of looks like, what this, uh, what this agricultural reference is describing. He says this, The picture John draws for us is of the grain and the chaff lying on the threshing floor after the harvest. The mixture of the grain and the chaff is tossed up into the air with a winnowing fork or shovel. The light chaff is blown away by the wind, and the heavier grain falls back on the floor from which it is to be collected to be stored in the barn. The chaff is then swept up and burned. All of us get the illustration that is here. The one with the winnowing fork or the shovel is Jesus Christ. The wheat is the believer. The barn is heaven. The chaff is the unbeliever and the unquenchable fire is hell. What John is saying to these individuals and what is the reality for all of us now is that Jesus has come. He is the judge. He is the king. And he will make the judgment on that final day based on your repentance and belief in him as to whether or not you will be the wheat or the chaff. He will sift you. He will do the sifting. He will be the one that is doing the sifting. Throwing the article into the air and letting the chaff blow away. And as the wheat comes to the ground, if you are of the wheat of heaven, you will be eternally secure in heaven where there is eternal presence. You'll be eternally in God's presence where there will be no tears. There will be joy that is unending. There will be streets of gold. There will be no more sin, no more death. It will be utter perfection. That is what is promised to you today. That is what is the guarantee for all of us who are believers today. That we, as we believe and repent of our sins in Jesus' name, we will be delivered into heaven eternity, for eternally, eternally in his presence. To be with him for eternity. To be with him in all of the glories of his splendor. To be with him in all of the majestic name, the majestic name that he proclaims. To be with him for eternity. And not only will we be with him, but we will be in utter perfection. We will be given new bodies that will never decay. We'll never wear away. We will be in utter perfection. That is the promise for anyone who repents of their sins and believes in Jesus' name. But, as it has been said three times now, the reality is, is that if you refuse to submit and believe in Jesus' name, he will sweep you off the threshing floor and cast you into an eternal, unquenchable fire of hell. This is not something that will be put out in a certain amount of time. This is not something that you will endure for just an hour or two hours. This is an eternal fire that is unquenchable. No amount of fire could be, no amount of, uh, of, of, of water could be thrown on this fire. You know, we have the fires going on in our, in our uh, city today or in our uh, surrounding areas today, and they're able to put out this fire. 
Though it is a raging, monstrous fire, they are able, with the work of many, to put out that fire. But the fire that the unbeliever will face for eternity in hell will never be put out. They will face that fire of judgment for eternity. Eternity. And unfortunately, there are many churches today that refuse to preach a message such as this one. In the interest of love, they are saying, well, we just want to be loving. We, we don't want to tell them about hell. Well, it, the reality is that if anyone refuses, if anyone who is a Christian refuses to tell someone about the reality of hell, that is the most unloving thing that they could do. It's the most unloving thing that they could do. Because you don't want to hurt someone's feelings and tell them about the reality of hell, it's really the most hurtful thing that you can do. It's one of the most hateful things that you can do. The reality is that everyone who is an unbeliever on that final day will be cast into the lake of fire with an unquenchable fire, that is, eternally, eternally. And it is the most unloving thing that you could do to not share that truth. I'll be quick to say that if the church is refusing to preach about the reality of hell, it really is no church at all. It's refusing to preach the whole authority of God. They had this idea of saying, well, uh, yeah, Jesus is love and, and, you know, Jesus is great and, and Jesus just wanted to be your friend and Jesus just wants to be your, your good teacher. Jesus just wants to, to lead you into a good life here and now. Refusing to say that if you do not repent of your sins and believe in Jesus' name, Jesus is the one that will cast you into the lake of fire for eternity. Jesus is both our friend. Jesus is the one who loves us. Jesus is the one who has died for us. And Jesus is also the one who is going to cast those who do not believe in his name into the eternal lake of fire. And a church that refuses to state that is no church at all. Because they are not preaching the entire gospel of Jesus Christ. As I close this message out today, there's just two things that I must say. The application for us, if you would have it. To the unbeliever you are here today, if there are any unbelievers here today, what are you waiting for? What are you waiting for? Recognize that you have sinned against God. Recognize that you have sinned against the holy God, the one who has created the universe, the one who is the creator of all things, the one who holds the universe in his hands, the one who continues to sustain this universe until the final day when he burns it all up and gives us the new heaven and earth. Recognize that you have sinned against God. You have sinned against him, and in the reality, there is no escape from his judgment. His judgment is imminent, as you have seen. The axe is laid at the root of your tree. The reality is that if you believe in Jesus Christ, he longs that you would believe in Jesus Christ. He longs to give you eternal salvation from your sins, and he has sent to you Jesus Christ. God does not want that any would perish, but that all would have everlasting life. And so he has sent you his son, Jesus Christ, to be the atoning sacrifice for your sins. You do not have to do any work for your salvation. God has given it to you as a free gift if you have but repent of your sins and believe in his name. You believe in his name and he will give you the promised Holy Spirit who will then enable you to do good works. God is the one that does all the work. He asks for your repentance and belief in Jesus Christ. Repent of your sins and believe in Jesus Christ. If you do not, the reality is this. You are damned to hell eternally. You can leave from this place now, get killed, in any way, shape, or form. And as you die, you will face the judgment seat and you will be in hell. That's the reality. You don't say it to scare. The Bible doesn't say it to scare. The Bible says it to give you the reality of the eternal state of things. So why delay? Jesus is ready and willing to receive you with open arms. He died on the cross for your sins in order that by your belief in him, you would have everlasting life in his name. Why wait? Jesus is calling. Jesus is calling. Respond to his love. Respond to the gospel of Jesus Christ, and you will be saved. Amen. To the believer, 
Two things. Do you not realize the sinfulness of your sin? I know that kind of seems like a, uh, an oxymoron, the sinfulness of your sin. But if you are a believer today and you are struggling with sin, if you are a believer today that has kind of drifted away from the faith, if you are a believer today that has somewhat uh, lost sight of the reality of how truly, how truly sinful your sin really is, realize it now. Realize that sin damns individuals to hell for eternity without Jesus Christ. And though you have been set free by Jesus Christ, it is not this get-out-of-jail-free card for you to sin. You are to hate sin. You are to despise sin as much as God despises sin. You are to flee from sin. You are to live a holy life by the power of the Holy Spirit that lives within you. You are to recognize the great seriousness of sin. It is not just some little game that we play, but it is a lifetime. It is an eternity that we are going to be a part of. And so recognize the seriousness of your sin. Though you have been set free from your sin by repenting of your sin and believing in Jesus as the atoning sacrifice for your sin, it does not take away the seriousness of it. Recognize God for who he is. He is holy, he is just, and he is upright. He is the one who you're sinning ultimately against. And though he has set you free from sin, it does not give you this get-out-of-jail-free card. Turn from sin. Repent from sin. Turn from it once and for all. Repent of your sins, believer. Though you have been set free, continue to repent of your sins. And also, one, one final statement for us is this. Do not delay in sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ. If we truly believe the reality of hell for those that are unbelievers, what is preventing you from sharing the gospel? If you truly believe that the individual who is not saved is going to spend an eternity in hell, unquenchable fire, unquenchable heat, unquenchable anguish, weeping and gnashing of teeth, never having any form of comfort or joy or peace ever for eternity, if you truly believe that, what is stopping you from sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ? Is it because you're worried that they might reject you? Is it because you think you have other things that you're busy with doing? Is it because you feel like they just might not respond to you? That is not up for you to decide. What is up for you to decide is this, or what is up to you to follow is this, that Christ, when he, has sent, when he has ascended up into heaven, has given us the Holy Spirit. He has commissioned us to go, therefore, and share the gospel. Share the gospel. Make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Christ has commissioned us to share the gospel that he has given to us. He has commissioned us to do that. And if we truly believe in the reality of hell, we should have at any moment, at any time, in any capability or in any way, share the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because the reality of those unrepentant individuals is they spend an eternity in hell. And we have, we have the prescription for them. It's not by our self-righteousness. It's not by anything that we know. But it is by what has been delivered to us. Every one of us that our belief in Jesus Christ is therefore made an ambassador for Christ. We're not presenting them with our message. We're presenting them with the message of Jesus Christ. The message of Jesus Christ that says God sent his only begotten son, Jesus Christ. He came into this world and lived a perfect life. He was rejected and sent to the cross to die on the cross. And as he died on that cross, his blood was shed for you and I to be the atoning sacrifice for our sins. And he was buried in the grave and he resurrected on the third day. And if you believe in him, you have life in his name. That is our message that we present to the world. To save them from an eternity in hell. What is stopping us today? Is it the busyness of life? Is it the busyness of your job? Or is it the busyness of anything anything that comes in your way? Is there anything more important than sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ? Absolutely not. Now obviously there is a time and place where we are able to do that. There is a time and place where God opens the door for us. Where the spirit moves and we are able to share the gospel with them. 
There is a time and place where we can share the gospel with them, but look for those time and place. Maybe God has laid someone on your heart over the past couple of weeks or even months or even years. Someone that you seek to yourself, I should really share the gospel with them. But use this as your sign from God to share the gospel with them this week. Use this as God telling you, share the gospel with them this week. Share the gospel with them. Do not delay. As you leave here from this place, call them on your phone. As you leave here from this place, invite them out to lunch. Invite them out to dinner. Share the gospel of Jesus Christ with them because their judgment is imminent. Their judgment is imminent. And also, as we share the gospel, the reality is there's no greater joy than seeing someone come to faith in Jesus Christ. There is no greater joy than seeing someone that has been set free from their sins eternally and that will experience heaven for eternity. They will be and dwell in heaven for eternity with God. Forever. There's no greater joy than seeing that happen. And obviously it's not going to happen every time we share the gospel, but when it does, there is no greater joy. There's no greater joy. I'm going to leave us with the words of Paul to the Apostle Timothy found in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 24 through 26. And then close us in prayer. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 24 through 26 says this. Paul says to Timothy, And the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but kind to everyone, able to teach, patiently enduring evil, correcting his opponents with gentleness. God may perhaps grant them repentance, leading to a knowledge of the truth, and they may come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil after being captured by him to do his will. That is the reality of every time we present to them, to any individual, the gospel. We present it to them knowing that God is the one who will grant them with repentance. We take a step of faith and share the gospel with the individual to free them from the snares of the devil. Freed from the snares of the devil that they would come to their senses after being captured by Satan to do his will. And as we free them, or as God rather, frees them from the snares of the devil, he welcomes them into his eternal family, baptizes them with his Holy Spirit, and they are a part of the body of Christ forever. That is why we share the gospel. That is why we proclaim, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. We share the gospel with them so that it would be freed from the work of Satan. We share the gospel with them so that Satan no longer has dominion over them. Christ has destroyed Satan. The work is finished. Believe in Jesus Christ and you will have everlasting life. That is our mission. That is our purpose. And that is our joy and hope to do every single moment. And so as believers, we must follow in the footsteps of the many that have gone before us. With John the Baptist, with the Apostle Paul, with the Apostle Peter, with, with all of the Christians that have shared the gospel before us. And we must share it and share it boldly so that individuals would escape the fire of judgment that awaits them. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day and we thank you for this, this message that, that you have put before us. God, we know that, that you love us and that you have sent your Son, Jesus Christ, to be the atoning sacrifice for our sins. Lord, we thank you that you have freed us, that you have given us repentance, that you have given us faith in Jesus Christ in order that we are saved and set free from our sins and will dwell for eternity with you. But God, also as we move forward, help us to remember the reality for those that are unsaved. Help us to ache for them. Help us to hurt for them, knowing that they are facing eternity in hell if they do not repent and believe in Jesus' name. God, we thank you, Lord, and we pray that you would make us able. Equip us to go forward with this truth. Make us bold as we deliver the faith, as we deliver the truth of Jesus Christ. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.